How are we doing folks? Welcome along to episode 6 of You Can't Be Friends With Rockstars. Got a wee bit of a treat for you today. We've got um, Frank Turner has agreed to be in the show, which was uh, unexpected to say the least. We chanced their arm a wee bit with that. Um, Kevin, you can probably pick up the story. <laughs> I will. Well, basically, so we went away, me, me, myself and David and the wives and the kids and that went away New Year to Jedburgh. So what we did, we'd hired a house and all that, but kind of New Year's, yeah, kind of New Year's Eve, um, David and me went to the pub tea room about tea time. Aye. I think we had six Peronis or six <laughs> pints of Peroni or something, so we came back up the road, three cheese to the wind. The, the wives then went to the pub and then came back and then we had a New Year, or whatever they does, can Aye. I? So, and then the wives went to bed. So just after the bell, what time was it? It was about, I think I checked back the emails, like, oh. embarrassingly on New Year's Day. So we just opened a bottle of whiskey, and it was, what, quarter past twelve. Mm-hmm. We're talking and they were about, dancing in the streets of Jedburgh. Uh, they were dancing in the streets of Jedburgh outside the flat. Literally. There was, uh, all the locals had gathered and were dancing in the street. But uh, we had just opened a bottle of whiskey and were um, chatting about who we wanted to get in the podcast, who would be ideal. We had tickets for Frank Turner on the 29th of January and we thought, how good would it be if we could get him? But given that we had a few beers, we thought, fuck it. The old Dutch courage. We'll ask him. <laughs> we'll, we'll send him an email. And Frank's kind of, I say Frank, best pal Frank. Yeah, my mate. Frank Turner, my mate. Um, he's kind of built his reputation in being really open and accommodating his fans. So he's got his own personal email address there on the on the website. So I dropped him an email, told him a wee bit about the podcast, and he get came back the next day, saying sounds great. Put me in touch with his uh, mm-hmm. PR team, and then aye, that was it. It was kind of bit of a whirlwind. <laughs> it was done. Aye, obviously it's quite a new podcast. This is only episode six. We've uh, mainly kind of focused on local acts, local artists, and musicians, and that was where we kind of saw it going but we felt there's something quite kind of universal about what we're talking about we can adapt it to anyone really it could be you could adapt take it and apply it to anybody so we've been talking about it would be good to get somebody a couple of bigger names on which also if you get some bigger names on that kind of raises a profile at everybody else that's also been on the the show because hopefully people will listen to that as well so I, uh, it was great to get Frank Turner on. For those of you who don't know who Frank Turner is, he is a, well, he is a solo artist really, mm-hmm. isn't he? He was Aye. in the band Million Dead, a kind of punk uh, post-hardcore band in the early 2000s. Um, had two albums with them before he went solo. And then has released seven studio albums since then. First one was Sleepers for the Week and... 2007 and his last one last year was Be More Kind which is an absolute belter it is really good isn't it Aye. I mean all his albums are really good I, I first became aware of him in 2012 I think mm. Aye. he was on the Olympic the Olympics opening ceremony in 2012 and that's where I first heard him playing I Still Believe which is a fucking belter <laughs> tune so I started kind of going back to him then and I'd started to kind of recognise some songs that I didn't realise were him, like Vital Signs and uh, Poetry for the Deed and uh, Aye. And then I just kind of fell in love with him a wee bit. But as you say, I hadn't seen him live and then when I saw that he was playing 
with Jimmy Eat World. Oh, can he miss that gig? Because no. we're both Jimmy Eat World fans. Mm-hmm. Can he miss that gig? That's going to be an absolute belter. Um, which, I mean, he talks about himself being a bit of a coup getting them. And it was a, it was a phenomenal gig. It was, man. Really it was and I've been, I've seen loads and loads of gigs over the years and big festivals, seen some of the bands that right in their pomp. Um, and I don't think I've ever seen anybody work a crowd like that in my life. I think you turned to me, I think it was five or six songs in, maybe, whatever it was, mm-hmm. and you were just like, he's got the fucking crowd in the pammies on. And mm-hmm. that's exactly what he it's did. It's phenomenal. It's phenomenal to see him just work a crowd because I was thinking that on the way up in the car, I was listening to some of the music again and it's, his songs, a lot of them are quite kind of, almost conversational they're like telling a story Aye. it's no. although he's got he's got a beautiful turn of phrase but a lot of it is just kind of nice storytelling and mm-hmm. uh, it is like having a conversation with somebody and I think that's what connects really well with the crowd the crowd can and it feels like he's talking directly to you a lot mm-hmm. of the time which is aye. it's it's, 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 it's kind of beautiful to witness basically aye uh, and he was very nice gave us some time before the show uh, we went up and seen him in his tour bus and which is pretty cool by the way <laughs> uh, it, was, uh, it was it was brilliant so um, aye here's a here's an interview with Frank Turner Thanks very much, first of all, for, for having My us. My pleasure. Um, how's the tour going so far? Really good. Um, it's a short run, obviously. Um, big rooms, um, fewer shows, but um, it's been great so far. We've got bells and whistles for the set, which I won't say any more about because the gentleman doesn't reveal his set list in advance. But um, And we've got, in a sentence that's still weird for me to say out loud, say out loud we've got Jimmy E. World supporting, which is nuts, but awesome. And Grace Petrie, and everyone's having a lovely time. We were going to ask about that actually because we are both big uh, Jimmy Eat World fans as well. So, how that seems like a bit of a coup. How did that? Yeah, it, I mean, I I agree strongly. Um, I so I met Jim. We we've done a few festivals with him over the years, and we've crossed paths. And um, he is the nicest dude in rock and roll. And uh, yeah, you know, um, we were obviously wanted a big support for this tour, and I sort of mentioned it to my agent as a joke almost, and he was like. Fuck it, man. Nothing ventured. Um, so he sent some emails from his end, and he was like, "Why don't you text Jim and see what he thinks about it?" And I was like, "Oh my god, how do I even phrase that?" Um, and I sort of was like, "Oh, I'm really sorry for asking, and it's probably a no, but blah blah." blah. And then they all came back, and we're just like, "Yeah, that sounds cool." And it was just like, oh "My god, this is so easy." Um, so yeah. So who are you asking for the next tour? Then, that well, it? we'll see. I mean, I've got some ideas. <laughs> so this is a show two thousand three hundred and. Five, yes, I think that's what I'm well researched. Yes, good work. Good do work. you remember number one? I do actually. Yes, um, simply because it was it was nerve wracking because it was the first solo show that yeah. I did. It was at ninety three feet east. It was while Million and Deb was still a band. And um, actually, the funny thing about that show is that it was a charity thing. Somebody asked me to do it. I was like, yeah, fuck it, why not? Um, and I had like two songs of my own, and the rest of it was either Million Dead songs or Neil Young covers from memory. <laughs> um, but uh, 
On the also on the bill at night were Dive Dive, three of whom are now in the Sleeping Souls, and Fight with Wire and Kaho from Fight with Wire is my guitar tech. So all of us, like a good like half of my touring crew was at that show, um, and we all laugh about it because it's like, man, if I could go back to that show in two thousand and four and tell you guys that fifteen years later you've been tour with me, what would you say? And everyone kind of goes, we'd all run screaming. <laughs> um, but it's nice that you know it's been kept in the family, as it were. So see when you're approaching it, I showed you still do it the same way you did when you know you were starting out kind of thing. I, I mean it changes, you've got bigger gigs and stuff. In in broad strokes, yes. Um uh, you know, in the sense that it's like me trying to present the songs I've written in a way that's engaging and entertaining and um inclusive, I would say, is quite an important word for me. Um obviously, you know, I've now got lots of songs to choose from. I spend altogether too much of my life thinking about set list choices and pacing and arrangement and key and tempo and album choice and blah 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 um, and uh, that kind of thing um, uh, and you know when you're playing in a bigger room you have to kind of there's a slight difference in technique should we say in a way that's not really that interesting I think unless you are someone who plays shows but to communicate with somebody who's standing at the back of arena is harder than somebody who's standing in the front row of King Tut's you know what I mean um, so I do think about that kind of stuff but I do it's funny like when when we it was the Wembley show in particular in 2012 I did my first arena headline show and um, I spent I spent a little bit of the build up to that thinking that I had to completely start from scratch in terms of the presentation of what I do because my god it's an arena and all the rest of it and then thankfully realised reasonably early on that that was a dumb thing to think and that the reason that we got there is because of the way we do or the way I do what we do and therefore just do that again but better <laughs> there we go there's, there's, there's a real George Lucas kind of advice there do it again but better Yeah. you've obviously you've kind of got where you are through your Kind of relationship with your fans. I mean, to the point that you've two drunken guys emailed you in yeah. New Year's Day. <laughs> here, and we here we are, yeah. two of us. Um, is it quite hard to maintain that relationship? Is it? It, it changes necessarily. I mean, like the, the ideological point for me at the beginning, which I still sort of philosophically hold on to, is was the idea that I'm not punk rock. To me, was about was about iconoclasm and about the idea that the people who are on a stage shouldn't be a different like class to the people in the audience. And if they are, then the music becomes uninteresting to me. You know, if if David Bowie is an alien, then I don't really have much interest in what he has to say. Mm-hmm. And not everyone agrees with that, and I respect his songwriting. And blah, blah, blah. But you know, it's always been for me that like punk was interesting because it was a discussion in amongst the community, and that the people who are on stage are taking their turn with the conch, if you like. But it's not a permanent elevation. Um, obviously, that's an a difficult stand to maintain when you're playing an arena show and you've got like 18 dressing rooms and security stuff and all that sort of shit but um I mean one of the things there are little ways that we try and keep it going I don't go outside and just sign for everybody all night anymore which is partly because there's too many people but it's also because I'm old now and like it was starting to affect my health on tour and my stamina because it takes as much out of you to spend two and a half hours signing outside a venue as it does to play a fucking show Um, but also um, you know we do stuff like we don't do paid meet and greets fuck that we will never do paid meet and greets you can quote me on that and if I ever start (laughs) fucking play this back um because what that does, that's commodifying my social time in a way that I think is gross. Do you know what I mean? I, and I do my best to hang out when people want to hang out. But, like, you know, I also reserve the right to need my sleep or indeed to have old friends whose floors I used to sleep on who I want to have dinner with, you know, or whatever. So, you know, um, it, it's changed over the years a little. But, it, you know, I'm trying to kind of 
sustain this over a long period of time. I don't want to burn myself out yeah. too quickly. Yeah, because you do tour fairly kind of relentlessly. Yeah. If you had to change, I mean, it's it can't always be like the rock and roll party. And yeah. I mean, we've slowed down a bit in recent years in a way that people seem to not to have noticed that much, which is quite satisfying to me. <laughs> um, like we're, for the Be More Kind thing, we announced the whole world tour in one day. We did 110 shows on the same day and everyone went, wow, he's still touring as hard as he ever did. And thereby didn't notice the four week gaps in between each uh, run. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, which we take to see our children and our loved ones and our mm. pets and our houses <laughs> and shit, um, which we never had in the past. So um, uh, it has calmed down a little bit, but... Um, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Do you know what I mean? I'd like to do this because I'm old. Yeah, mm-hmm. you get that. Um, people have said that you're the hardest working man. Mm. I mean, does it does it ever feel like hard work? Um, yeah. There, well, okay, that's a broad topic. I mean, the first thing is is that that that's always been slightly bullshit. The hardest working thing. I mean, there are people who work bar shows in Vegas who work harder than I do, mm-hmm. and always have done. Um, and indeed, I realised quite early on that my attempt to get the world record for a number of shows was a doomed venture simply because of the way that people like B.B. King used to tour yeah. three shows a day 360 yeah. days a year for 40 years fuck that <laughs> um, do you know what I mean like it's just not doable to top that um, and uh, but yeah I mean I kind of oscillate on as to how much I'm allowed to use the word work or job around what I do I think I am in the sense that there are vast swathes of my day that aren't just kind of pure artistic abandon do you know what I mean um, but and and in some ways like there's an argument to be made that there is no part of my background which is blue colour do you know what I mean I come from a comfortable middle class family and, and you could this is me psychoanalyzing myself now but like you could make quite a strong case for me trying to sort of compensate for that by treating what I do in a blue collar way um, I don't know you tell me but um I, like, I mean, I grew up, uh, there's something quite Protestant about it in a way. Do you know what I mean? I grew up with that kind of idolizing bands like Black Flag and Den Kennedys and, and Minor Threat who used to tour like like Puritans, essentially. You know what I mean? I think there's a university dissertation to be written on the connection between straight edge and Puritanism. I think that there's a strong line to be drawn there in terms of American subculture. But, um, you know, uh, I, I, I also think that if something's worth doing, it's worth doing well, you know? Um, and there are, thankfully, and touch wood as I say it, there are people who want to see me play all over the world and I like to give people what they want, man. <laughs> you do seem like a kind of proper student of music and stuff like that. Mm. Do you think that helps with your songwriting more? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's not my place to comment on anybody else's take on art really yeah. that's sort of the point but at the same time for me like it's always been a thing of trying to be quite studious I think that's a good mm-hmm. word for it you know mm-hmm. like I'm always reading about music I'm always trying to learn about bits of music I don't know about and particularly the sort of the history of the art form and the history mm-hmm. of the of the presentation of it as well you know I spend a lot of time reading about kind of vaudeville and circus and all that kind of thing and partly that's because there are tips and tricks you know if people have been doing it for years then fucking learn from the greats man um, but, uh, you know and, and people who kind of every now and again some arsehole some ageing arsehole in an expensive leather jacket says something about how rock music is dead yeah. and what they've done there is confused themselves with rock music um, and you know there is more music in the world than anyone will ever listen to and just go and find a genre you don't know anything about and listen to it or even more than that just go and fucking go to a new band's night and listen to young people making music because that is all the inspiration anyone will ever fucking need you know um, uh, so yeah, I just try and kind of. I'm, I'm, I'm. It would never claim to have any kind of like finger on the pulse or any of that <laughs> shit. You know what I mean? But at the same time, like you know, I, I have a lot of friends who run venues in London and that kind of thing, and they often have kind of. You know, I'll have friends. I, in fact, one of the most inspirational shows I've seen in recent years. Do you know that band Horror spelled H O nine nine O nine? No. They're they're a they're a kind of 
grime drum and bass hardcore band right. from uh, Pennsylvania, I think they're from. Anyway, they a friend of mine who runs um, a club in London just called me and he said, I have a band playing tonight and I've just seen them soundcheck and you need to be here when they fucking play. Um, he was like, of all the people I know, you are the one who needs to be in this audience. And I was like, okay, fuck it. And, you know, I went down. It was one of the fucking best gigs I've ever seen ever in my whole life. So check them out. Do you get the chance to get too many gigs in a moment? Well, I'm not on tour. I tend to go to quite a lot of gigs. It is still my culture. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I mean, if I've got a day off on a tour, I quite often won't go to a gig simply yeah. because it's a little bit busman's holiday. Do you know what I mean? Um, I also, I have this terrible thing. I, I, I like paying to go to gigs, right? I, and it's it's a funny thing that at the point in my life where I can afford to pay for gigs, I can also generally get put on the guest list yeah. for pretty much anything. And it's just like, no, 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 I'm the one who should contribute. Do you know what I mean? I can afford to yeah. support the culture and all the rest of it. But I have this thing, if I don't get a backstage pass for a gig, I walk in and I just kind of go, but where do I put my coat? <laughs> like, I belong there. That's my, you know, which is a shitty thing to think, but it's true. Do you know what I mean? I just sort of stand there going, uh, I guess I'm getting a beer from the bar rather than the fridge. <laughs> I like some arsehole. Um, but yeah, I do. I mean, you know, I, I like to I like to see live bands, you know? I like to see what other people are doing. See, on that subject, we'll just, we're obviously need to kind of wrap up just now, so what's your ideal four-piece? Your ideal four-piece band, apart from the Sleeping Souls, obviously. Fugazi. If you have to pick individuals, if you could pick any singer, the problem with this game is that I think that um, an awful lot of the great bands are, it's about the relationship between yeah, the individuals. Yeah. I mentioned Fugazi simply because, you know, sometimes people ask what band would you join, and I, I sort of automatically think of Fugazi because they are like uh, arguably my favourite band of all time but like I wouldn't want to join Fugazi because I would have nothing to do do you know what I mean I'd just kind of stand there like an idiot with a tambourine being like hey perfect, <laughs> yeah do you know what I mean exactly they are a perfect yeah. fucking balance the, the the connection I was fortunate enough to see them once and the connection between those four musicians on the stage was pretty much unlike anything I've ever fucking seen in my life having said all that to play the game I mean uh I don't know. Um, let's see. I mean, Matt Cameron's an incredible fucking drummer. Um, uh, bass players. Well, I don't know, man. Like, um, shit. This is a good question. Uh, you know. Well, in fact, okay. I'm going to dodge the question again. The other band that I think that is is perfect in its in its formation and its balance is the band, as in Robbie Robertson, and yeah. you know, and the connection between Lee Van Helm and Robbie Robertson and and all that crew was magic to see and it fuck man the connection between like Max Weinberg and Gary Talent as a rhythm section is something yeah. truly wonderful uh-huh. to behold um, and you know we all know that there have been super groups that sucked do you know what I mean actually one of the ones I always think about this is Audio Slave was Rage Against yeah. Machine yeah. with Chris Cornell on vocals I really really would love to see Soundgarden with Re- with Zach LaRoche on vocals well, that, do you know what I mean that, yes. the anti-Audio Slave yeah. that would be wouldn't that be yeah, fucking be I think that would be more interesting oh, do you know what I mean what do you think of Prophets of Rage um uh, it wasn't for me. Nothing. Didn't grab me. I, I, I mean, so desperate. I think like the it, thing, yeah. the thing about it is, like, I mean, I've I've met Chuck D, and he's a nice dude. <laughs> um, but like, I think that uh, um, part of it for me is just that, like, I mean, that that particular brand of politics is something I grew out of a long time ago, anyway. And yeah. it's a little bit like, kind of like, smash capitalism, buy a VIP ticket. It's just a bit like, <laughs> there, is a, there is a really obvious disconnect in here somewhere. It's like, smash capitalism, get an early bird merch bundle. <laughs> uh, and, you know, and it's just kind of like, this is hyper-capitalist. 
you know and I don't really have a problem with that personally you know it's not they're not exploiting anybody by doing that but just like drop the fucking <laughs> drop the silly fucking Marxist rhetoric if you're gonna be, behave that way do you know what I mean um but you know, well, okay. This is this might be a good place for us to wrap up if we are we out of time. I don't know. Just yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I mean, this I is this is a major major rant of mine, and I'll try and do a short version of it to save you guys. <laughs> um, but like, I, it's something I've realised in in my old age, old age. I'm 37. But like, I just don't have any time. I think it's such a waste of time and energy to be down on bands, right? I don't care for the music of Kasabian. But Kasabian wake up every day and they make Kasabian fans, of whom there are many, happy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that is a respectable thing for them to do. And on that level, I wish them every success. And I would like to see Kasabian be successful and sell records and sell tickets for their whole career. Because music isn't a fucking zero-sum game. It's not a competition. Uh, it never was, and it is even less so now with the internet being what it is. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, I don't like the Red Hot Chili Peppers, but who gives a fuck? There's no reason that the Red Hot Chili Peppers should give a shit about that opinion. And there is no reason why I should spend any of my day thinking about that. Or I should spend my day listening to other bands. And I do, you know? And, and it's like, that. so with Prophets of Rage, Prophets of Rage sold a shitload of tickets and they made the people who came to their shows have a good time. And that's an excellent thing for them to do. And I wish them all the best with it. And I just think that, like, and I did this in my younger years, and I'm sure everybody does, but sitting there kind of being bitter about somebody else's success is just a fucking waste of time. Yeah, just find music you do like and celebrate it. It's better for your own mental health, for yeah. fuck's sake. And there is space for everyone. There's not, right. especially nowadays, it's not like you need to pick that space on your, your shelf for a CD. Like, there's right, so you've much got Spotify. Just, yeah, totally. Yeah. And even like tonight, I mean, how many gig venues are there in Glasgow? Let's say, I mean, tw- let's say there's 20 off yeah. the top of my head that I, I could probably think of 20 if you really push me but but like you know not every single one of them has a gig on tonight I mean I was actually like tonight our show was sold out and I saw a tour bus parked outside the cat house earlier yeah. and I was actually I didn't in the end because I couldn't f- find out who was playing but I was going to tweet just being like if you can't make my show tonight there's another show happening yeah. maybe hit that one you know supporting live music all uh, good but it's not it's not a fucking com- contest no did you play the cat house back in the day? Oh, yes. <laughs> I was trying... You know what? I actually think Glasgow might be the city, except for London, where I've played the most different venues. Because right. I was trying to go through it. Bar Block, Nice and Sleazy's, Bar Fly, King Tut's, um, ABC's, Garage, uh, O2, SECC, uh, Barra's. That's ten. I mean, um, yeah. every one of them going right down to like nice and sleazes and stuff. They're all great venues. Yeah, yeah. right. Really I, you know, I have a great, great memory of playing playing Bar Block. I, yeah. I had a, and it's like that room downstairs, which is a real fucking like <laughs> barren place. You know what I mean? It's just like a bunker. But I had a great show there back in two thousand six or whatever it was when I played there. Um, and I fucking love King Tut's. I've played well. it a few times as well, just back in the day, but. Oh, Oh, it's, a, it's just good people as well. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? I put for me, King Tut's is in the mental bracket with like Rock City, and there's not many venues that I would put in that category. Do you know what I mean? Not I'm, I'm not having a go at the O2 chain or whatever, um, but like you know, it's just the right people running the yeah. right venue for mm-hmm. the right reasons. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it doesn't matter what band you go and see; the sound is always mm-hmm. kind of on mm-hmm. point. You're, like, you're looked after as well, regardless of who you yeah. are as well. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Carry, so. Yeah. Well, we won't take up too much of your time. I know you're a busy man, and there's a lot of people been pestering you for your time. So, yeah, yeah. Thank Cheers. you. Really Cheers. appreciate yeah. it. Thanks very much.